Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we will address a culmination of the evil one's offenses against the church found in the subject of temptation. We will uncover the categories that temptation occurs in and seek to identify our Lord's strategy of defense against this deadly attack. Thanks for joining us today as we examine the relationship between the devil's attack of temptation, the falling away of God's people in apostasy, and our response of resistance through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, I wanted to start this morning by telling you about a, a deer hunting story. Does that sound good? A little story? This was last year. I was in South Dakota, and it was the last hour of the last day of the hunt. And I was overlooking a, um, in fact, I have a picture of it here, just a, a, a beautiful sunset behind me in this ridge. And far off in the distance, I thought I could see, uh, I thought I could see some antlers. So looking closely and through binoculars, sure enough, this beautiful 10-point buck was out there. Now, for those who know this story, it takes about 30 minutes to tell. I'm not going to get through the whole thing, but I had had some, um, I had had some poor luck earlier in that week. And so I had resolved in my heart that I was not going to bag a monster trophy buck. Instead, this was going to be my reward, just this privilege of being able to watch these deer in their just native habitat, acting the way deer act. And for me, that was enough. I mean, if you're a hunter, you know it's not really true, but <laughs> I was making it true. I was going to be okay with that. And there were a few does that came around this buck as they were up there. And um, I remember watching them for about 15 minutes, sort of chase each other around. And then kind of in growing board, um, there is a fence line that runs right about here. And the does started to make her way across the fence line. Now, I know that in hunting, there's a few things that you can do to attract deer. You can use scent, you can use bait, and you can also use sound. There, there's, there's a grunt, a noise that a, a big male deer will make that will cause the female to show interest and to be caught in that direction and also challenge any other big bucks that are there. I brought my uh, buck grunt with me today. Here's, here's what it sounds like in case you don't know. Ready? That's about it. Sounds just like that. And so as this doe started to make her way across the fence line and these big bucks started to follow her, I thought, they're too far away for any scent. I don't have any bait, so I got to make some sound. And so I reached for my grunt and it was not there. It was missing. So I let out a burp. <laughs> Sounds a little similar, right? That's what I did. I went, burp. And the doe stopped. She froze in her tracks and she looked directly across this big long valley with those ears like radar dishes focused right in on me. And the buck didn't hear the grunt. The buck had his, his antlers down in the brush so he didn't hear anything. But when he lifted his head, he saw her looking at me. And I sat there and I thought, that might have done it. That might have done it because now I'm watching the wheels start to turn in the mind of that doe. The wheels are starting to turn in the mind of that buck. He's watching her thinking, what's she looking at? What's she interested in over there? And she's looking over there saying, did I hear a big buck over there? Did I hear someone over there? It's a kind of temptation that's given to these animals so that you can lure them in. Now, all the while, we know that this is a trap, is it not? This is a trap. In fact, I have planned this with all the materials that I need such that when they get close enough, I can kill one of them. That's the reason for the deception. The deception came as a sound, but it's preying upon them as a temptation. And then you won't believe it. It worked. Here's what happened next. That doe, she decided to take a step towards me and she started to make her way down this trail headed right to me. Now, again, I had bad luck this whole week, so I started to think, is this really happening right now? And it was. Now, if you had known, if any other deer had known that there was a hunter there, right? If you had known that there was somebody with a weapon that's going to kill you there, you would have said to those deer, stop, don't move. 
Right? When, when that doe is standing there listening, you would say, don't stop standing there. Stay right there. Don't give in to the temptation. Do not take a step closer. It's going to lead to death. And then even if the doe, as you can see here, and oh man, look at that buck. That's beautiful, isn't it? Another one following them. That's the one I ended up shooting, by the way, the one behind them there. But they, they, uh, they start to make their way down. And if there was another deer there, do you know what that deer would say as they see them walking towards death? You'd say, what? And, come on, what would you say? Stop and turn around. Turn around. Don't walk. Don't walk this way. This way is going to lead to death. You need to stop and turn the opposite direction. Go back the other way. The temptation ultimately, and sometimes when I tell stories, I don't give you the rest of the story. Bob asked me this, so I got to show you. That's the rest of the story from that night. But I want you to know um, the temptation that was given to those animals. Hear me. It's no different than the temptation that's offered to you in deception every single day, every waking hour, preying upon you with the sights and sounds, with the bait that says, come a little closer this way. Just step closer this way. All the while, the goal is to lead to your destruction. And if you and I could see, if you could see the weapon and the enemy that's hiding in the bushes, we would say, just stand still. Don't take a step. Just stay right there. Don't take another step. And for those that we see moving the wrong direction, we would say what? And turn around. That's what we would say. I want you to know, church, that one of the greatest tactics that the enemy has is to prey upon a brokenness in your depravity. You're depraved. You are. Your nature is woven under corruption. And so all of us have a tendency. All of us have an inclination All of us have a disease called sin. All of us do. And because of this weakness in you, the enemy will prey upon it to offer temptation to cause you, ultimately his goal, to die. This morning we're going to be looking at this scheme of the enemy that I'm going to hopefully describe to you, maybe in a way that you've never thought of it before. Two terms that we're going to use. Temptation and apostasy. Now, just show of hands. Have you heard of that word before? Apostasy? Anybody? I got half of you. Okay, so just a rough and ready definition of this word. Apostasy is a transliteration of the Greek word. The Greek word comes from a root that means to stand. Histami is the root Greek word, but it has a prefix in it. To stand away, which literally means to fall away. To no longer stand, to cease standing. That's what it means. Apostasy is a falling away. And it's not what we, sometimes just for clarification, Christians will speak of making stupid decisions. Show of hands, ever make a stupid decision? There's 100%, right? Um, That we we would likely call that a kind of backsliding It is a fleshiness that's left over. It is sin in your life. I want you to know that that's different than apostasy. Apostasy is the full culmination of having given in such that you no longer represent the characteristic of those who have faith in Jesus. That's what apostasy is. Not that you're standing under the weight of testing and temptation, but that you have fully resolved yourself to no longer stand at all. And we're going to see this morning that that is Satan's goal. And it's helpful, is it not? It's helpful for us to know the scheme of the devil. Do you know that that's what he wants to see in you? The Lord has given you faith. But we are told by Jesus' own example that the church itself is a mixture of those who have saving faith and some who have a faith that is only temporary in their lives. Which is it for you? Is your faith a characteristic, transforming, spirit-indwelt, sealed faith, eternal life that the scripture speaks of? Or is it of the kind that you've just added Jesus to your life temporarily for now? Jesus tells a parable about some soils. 
where seed falls along a path and then it's taken up by the birds. There's, there's no fruit that comes from it. Other seed that's in rocky ground. Rocks here describing difficulty for believing. Other seed that's sown among weeds. Weeds that describe all the variety of cares in our life that would seek the resources and suck dry those roots so that they don't produce fruit. And then a fourth soil. Only one out of four. Think about that. Only one out of four that receive the seed represented as God's word, having understood it, that it produces a harvest, a fruit in their life. And so which are you? I'd say 25% doesn't seem very optimistic to me. And I'm looking out across our church thinking, I hope we're doing better than 25%. Which of us in here are falling prey to those sounds, sights, to the bait that leads us astray, so much so that soon in our life, we just don't want anything to do with Jesus at all. In our study this morning, we're going to be looking at the temptation that came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn there with me. And as you do, I need to begin this morning with a little bit of review. So every week I have offered to us some preliminary prerequisites for our understanding of Scripture. I'm calling them preliminaries. So what are the things that we need to understand first before we are able to really comprehend what's going on in the text? And I wanted to review some. We've been in this study for about eight weeks now. So just as a reminder, the first one was that Satan's sin... So here, we'll do it like a test. You guys ready? Take out a blank sheet of paper, write your name at the top. Everybody ready? Ready, George? Here we go. Satan's original sin was... Who knows it? Pride. It was pride. That is, that is the primal root of all sin. Satan's original sin was pride. Number two, the Christian can be influenced by Satan, but you cannot be possessed. So for, for those true believers, possession here isn't like Hollywood blah, possession. No, possession as in ownership. If you are purchased and owned by God, you cannot be possessed or owned by the devil. Number three, uh, do you know that Satan isn't his name? It's a title. Does anyone remember what it means? Adversary. Uh, the one who stands opposed. That's what Satan means. As well as devil is not a name either. It's another title. It means accuser. It's, it's actually the same word that's used for gossiping about others is you are being devilish. When you do that, you are making accusations about other people. So Satan and devil are not his name. Instead, they're descriptors of what he does. Number four, there are spiritual forces of both good and evil, and God is in charge of both. So there, there are not opposing and equal forces of the kingdom of God, the God, the true living God, and then Satan as another God. Satan is a creature. He is not given any ability other than what God sovereignly allows. So make sure that we don't think that there is a work to which he is untethered. Number five, the enemy's attacks are always a test. If you are under attack, and I believe I've seen it in the past eight weeks that we've been studying this, the devil has been attacking. Again, by God's sovereign permission, I want you to know that's like an exam. How are you going to do on the exam? Are you going to respond in the flesh? Are you going to respond with giving into temptation? Or are you going to turn or stand resolute? So every attack is always a test. Number six, I want you to know God holds the power of life and death. You have nothing to fear. The devil is not in charge of death. God is in charge of both life and death. And for those who have most recently lost very near loved ones, Unexpectedly, I hope that that is, I hope that that for you brings peace, knowing that God has not left his hands off of the wheel and the devil is somehow doing a work that God is not in charge of. The devil has no power over life or death. God alone has that power. Two Sundays ago, God divided the earth. Do you remember we talked about division? It was a good kind of division and a bad kind of division. If you have cancer in your body, you need some division, right? It'd be good to cut that out. And sometimes God has done that, and he has done that for the good. When all of mankind was thinking about building a tower to make a name for themselves, God 
divided us in that sense, to make sure that we would not continue to walk astray and find our own destruction. In God's division of the people groups, he assigned spiritual governors over the peoples. But those authorities over all people groups have been revoked by the cross. And what is God doing right now? God is drawing all peoples, every nation, tribe, and language, all peoples under the authority of Jesus alone. And then for today, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We need to know all of these to build our understanding of biblical truth. Pride, no possession. His names are actually titles. God's in control. Attacks are tests. God holds the power of life and death. God has divided for the good to bring us back now under the authority of Jesus. And finally, your battle is not against flesh and blood, which for some of you today is like a, I needed that. I need to be reminded of that because it's so easy to be mad at each other, isn't it? I didn't hear an amen. on No amens on that. It's so easy to be mad at each other. Yes, amen, it is. And the reason is because you have, you have been deceived into thinking that they are your enemy when in fact they are not the enemy. They themselves are a victim of sin and depravity and deception. For there is a spiritual force at work to cause us to fight and to kill. As you heard already this morning from Bonnie in Genesis 4. Do you remember the story? God comes to Cain. Why are you so, why are you so downcast? Sin is crouching at your door. Sin desires to control you, but you must rule over it. In the very next verse, Cain says to his brother, let's go out in the field, and he kills him. As we've been looking at these preliminaries, I, I want you to know they're rooted in truth. Ephesians 6, a verse that I know you're familiar with. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Another key passage in our entire series that the devil has strategies against us. And here is the precursor for this morning. For our battle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Instead, it's against two warring kingdoms. As you heard from Rosanna this morning already in Revelation 12, there are angels who are fighting for God and angels who are fighting for the devil. This from Colossians chapter 1. Paul says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's a whole kingdom in and of itself. A dominion of darkness. With all of its rulers and authorities, he's rescued us from that and he's brought us into the, here's the second one, kingdom of his son. There are only two options. The kingdom of his son whom he loves in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Instead, it is against two warring kingdoms. You need the second half of that preliminary. The first is helpful that you and I would understand your battle is not against each other. It is against something, though. And the reality for you and I is that there are two kingdoms that are at war right now. Now, we unfortunately know this all too well in our news cycle, the images, the sights and sounds of war. Horrifying, is it not? There is a spiritual war that is happening, and you are in it right now. For us this morning, we're going to dive in a little bit deeper and look at the greatest battle recorded for us in the New Testament found in Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights... He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. A few observations that I want us to make in in regards to this short story. The first is this. All temptation is on a trajectory towards apostasy. Now, we've studied apostasy already this morning. Remember, what does it mean to do? To stand or to fall? To no longer stand, to cease from standing. I want you to see that every single temptation given to Jesus, it's leading to the goal of causing Jesus to offer his worship and acknowledgement to Satan instead of to God. By the way, if you do that, are you saved or unsaved? If you worship the devil, this is not a trick question, folks. Pretty easy, right? If you're giving your allegiance to anything other than God, that form of idolatry places you in a position of full damnation. Your soul is lost. And so the goal of all temptation is apostasy. I feel like I want to make sure that everybody understands me on this because the problem in our world is that many people have embraced temptation. I mean... I hope you don't ever watch music videos. Do not watch music videos. But the music that's being put out in our world today, some of the stuff that's coming through Hollywood or through Nashville in the music industry, do you know that, you know what's done with temptation? It's embraced it completely. And we've really, as a society, found a way to live alongside temptation as though it was okay. You need to know that it will kill you. It will destroy you. Its goal is not to just make you slower in your walk of acknowledging and glorifying God. It's to completely destroy it. I think of it similar as if you're in a, if you're in a boat and if you're being tempted towards sin, it's like taking a spike hammer and driving it through the bottom of that boat. Now, how long is that boat going to last? I mean, it'll stay afloat for a little while, but... Temptation is never going to stop with one poke. You know what temptation is going to cause you to do? Poke another one here. Poke another one here. And pretty, pretty soon what's going to happen? That boat will not make it to its destination. It will, in fact, sink. And so I want, I want to give a, a warning this morning. Wake up. Wake up, church. Wake up. The attack against you for temptation is not some, some small little pet problem that you can coexist with in your life. Amen. Temptation is given to lead you to apostasy, to falling away completely from the Lord. In fact, as a a very common term in our world today, uh, for some who have left the faith called deconstruction, maybe you've heard this term, those who are deconstructing their faith, almost across the board, every single person who is walking away from the Lord Jesus is doing so because they have a particular sin in their life that they are not willing to let go of. And Jesus even tells us in John 3, Light came into this world, but men love darkness. Think of that. Light has come into this world, but we'd rather sit in the dark because our deeds are evil. And if you have succumbed and give in continually to temptation, it will lead you ultimately away from God. This verse from James chapter 1, James says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Temptation is starting with your own evil desire. Everybody see that? Temptation right here is because of you. Because of the brokenness in your depravity. But where does it lead? What's its goal? The end goal of temptation. It's not this silly little thing. Oh, that's just how they are. Or nobody knows. Or it's really fine. Or I got it under control. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding This is is going to lead you to death. So that's the first thing I want us to see. Uh, Secondly, God will allow testing through temptation. In fact, if you look with me in verse 1, how did Jesus get to the desert? 
You know, I think if you, if you go back and just try to replay this story in your mind, don't you say that it was the devil that led Jesus into the desert? Isn't that what you think? But you know, that's not true. That's not what it says. What does it say? How did Jesus get to the desert? It was, it was the Spirit of God that led Jesus to the place of temptation. I, I want you, to, you and I to really pay attention then. What that means is God is going to allow temptation to show up in your life as a test. And part of the reason that this is a problem as well is because of our English translations. Do you know that the word for temptation is the same word used for testing? It's the same word. There are other words for testing in Greek, but the word temptation most often is translated not as temptation, but as testing. You are being tested through your temptation. In fact, a great example of this we already read in James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. This word trial is the same word for temptation. Most often translated as testing. And so what we need to know is that God will allow temptation to show up in your life. Now, here's part of the reason why this is difficult. Does God, this is, this is not a trick question, this is a yes or no. Does God tempt us? No. James helps us to see that, in fact, in the, like, the very next verse from the one that we read. God is not tempting. What is God doing? testing. He's testing, but he's not tempting. So what's the difference? If I can take the same Greek word and translate it one way or the other, then what's the difference? And I want to offer you the difference. A testing is a characteristic of the circumstance. Temptation is a question of nature. All right, let me say that again, because I don't want to lose you. This is kind of an important point. Testing has to do with the circumstance. God will allow circumstances in your life. But God's not the one tempting you. You're responsible for that. So let me give you an example. Let's say I had a bag of marshmallows and I had two chairs. And in one chair, I put a kindergartner. And in the other chair, I put a piece of wood. And I take a marshmallow and I set it before both of them. And I say, don't eat the marshmallow. And then I leave the room. Which of the two is undergoing temptation? The block of wood or the kindergartner? You can all see it, right? Why? Well, pay attention. The circumstance is the same. right? The, the circumstance is exactly identical. So where is temptation coming in? Temptation is not because of those who created the circumstance. Temptation is only due because of the nature of the person in the circumstance. A piece of wood has no temptation for a marshmallow at all. Doesn't even matter at all. God's not the one doing tempting in your life. That comes from your own evil desires. In fact, Jesus himself was tempted. This from Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. This is one of those difficulties where we have to deal with that Greek word tempted. Because temptation is a product of our nature. Question, Jesus in his humanity is the same as your humanity. Meaning, just like in the garden, Adam and Eve could choose to obey or to disobey. It's not true for you and I. Our humanity is now corrupted so that you will always, always, always want to disobey. There's no good in you at all. But Jesus' humanity is the same as it was in the garden. But Jesus is not only human. What else is he? He's also God. And so this might be a better for us translated tested. Jesus was tested in all the ways that we are tested. For you and I, it manifests as temptation. For Jesus in his humanity, he could be tempted. But Jesus in his divinity cannot. Because God cannot be tempted. And so I want us to know that sometimes God will allow testing of your life to come through temptation. I forget who the author was that first highlighted this, but there's an acronym that's helpful for you when you're facing 
temptation. It's the acronym HALT. Has anyone heard that before? HALT? Yeah, very good. Um, anyone who's dealing with people who are in a position of giving into sin is going to know that there are some common characteristics to be found in the heart of those who regularly give in. The first is being, the H stands for hungry. The A stands for angry. The L stands for lonely. And the T stands for tired. I want you to know that those are all almost found in this text. Look with me in verse 2, Matthew 4, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, what does it say? Jesus was hungry. And so when do you think the devil's going to come to attack you? When do you think he's going to show up? It's not, it's not going to be when you're feeling good. Instead, it's going to be when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so this is my very short sermon within a sermon. <laughs> Watch out for those moments, guys. Watch out. If you're feeling angry, yeah, that's when the devil's going to attack with temptation. If you're feeling lonely, attacked with temptation. If you're tired, it's been a long day, the devil's going to attack you with temptation. Thirdly, temptation involves the full assault of the devil's schemes. What we have here and what we've been studying so far is that the devil's schemes involve many things. Pride, lies, fear, division, accusation. I want you to know that when it comes to temptation, he's bringing the full press. The full assault comes with temptation. In fact, if you look with me back in the text in verse 3, you'll see the first form of deception. Look with me at verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, what's the first thing the devil says? If. 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 If number one scheme of the devil, I'm going to cast doubt upon what God has said. Now, do you remember if this showed up in the garden at all? Here it is. Genesis three. The serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals. The Lord God had made. He said to the woman, there's your if. There's the doubt. Did God really say? I want you to see that the exact same thing that's happening to Jesus is what happened in the garden, which we will address here in just a moment as we look at some conclusions. So lastly, just make sure you understand temptation is not some benign, easy to go, happy, lucky, no problem in your life. It is the full assault of the enemy in your life to lead you to apostasy, to see how you've been doing testing, being tested, and to come at you with everything the devil's got. I want to offer to you three conclusions we can see from this text. Number one, you and I have no ability to battle Satan ourselves. We have no ability to fight with the devil. If you are so arrogant that you think you're going to go toe-to-toe with the devil, let me tell you something, you will lose. Do I have to say it again? You will lose. Jesus models for us what the human creature is supposed to do. In fact, Jesus is the only one that could do battle against the devil, and even Jesus does not respond with some arrogant retort to combat the devil. What does Jesus say? Verse 4, it is, help me out what to say, it is written. Jump down to verse 7. Jesus answered him. It's also written. Look at me, verse 10, away from me, Satan, for it is written three times. You don't need any more models than this. You go toe-to-toe with the devil by what you think is true? Your own justification, your own rationale for how you're going to make it through whatever you're facing, I promise, I guarantee, you will lose. You will lose. This is the devil's goal in your life. You're not going to be able to leave church ever thinking that you can, you can, you can handle this. Just go toe-to-toe with the devil. That will not be something that you're going to be able to leave here thinking. I'm telling you as plain as I can, you will lose. And that loss ultimately in your life is going to lead you to no longer trusting in God. Second, by Jesus's ability, he will faithfully lead, keep and deliver us. So we can see in Jesus's victory over the devil, even in God's kindness to have the angels come and attend him afterwards, that Jesus is the hero. And and here's why I bring this up, because the Bible is filled with teaching on temptation, but there's one verse in particular that I think it's taking out of context too many times. I want to deal with it right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Some of you know this verse. Paul says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, let's just 
take this on face value. The place where I think it gets misunderstood. The text says that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Anyone in here ever give in to temptation? No, three of you. <laughs> and, and so, and so I'm, I'm going to struggle at this point because if you're claiming the blood of Jesus over your life, then you may also want to reach for this verse and be like, God's not going to let me be tempted. God's not going to let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. And that you might incorrectly decide to take this little verse as a way for you to bring judgment both over those and a false understanding of your own righteousness. Or it's going to cause you to look upon the stumbling of others, thinking higher of yourself, because you haven't given in. Hold on a minute. Wasn't that his whole point? If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall, because you need to know you are not the hero of this story. First of all, I want you to look at the words temptation, and I want you to understand the root of that syntactical use is testing. We've covered this already. So here's what it means. No testing has overtaken you except that what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will provide a way out. I want you to know that the hero of this story is not you who's standing under it. It's the God who's faithful to you. God will not let you go beyond what you can bear. And in the context of 1 Corinthians 10, hear me loud and clear as you can. Paul is not talking about your desire to go eat an extra big slice of chocolate cake. That's not what he's talking about. Paul is not talking about individual sin in this context. Go back and read the whole chapter. Chapter 10 is all about the way in which the Israelites had idolatry in their hearts from which God's punishment was that they will die. They embraced apostasy. And God was not pleased with them such that their bodies were scattered over the desert for that 40 years of wandering. This is not a question of individual sin. This is a question of being led all the way to apostasy, which for you and I is actually really good news with this verse because this stand up right over here, your Bible might use the word endure. What that means is the faithfulness of God is going to bring you all the way to glory. Not you. Everybody get this? It's not you. You are not the hero of this story. Uh, Rosanna, that's what we need to know from that message, right? It's not that you're the hero. You're not the champion of which God is going to pat on your back. Well done, you did it. It's not you. It's him. He's the hero of your life. He's the hero of the story. He's the one who is faithful. How are you doing on faithfulness? Right? Anybody need to turn from sin in your life? I'd say it's a good time to come to church. Let's do it together. Let's collectively turn away from sin. Let's collectively encourage one another not to give in to temptation because we're so prone to it. Let's all collectively Glorify the one who is able to keep us onto that day of judgment. This is this is gonna be one of the best verses in all of Scripture. 2 Timothy 2:13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Any of you ever found to be faithless? Yeah? Any of you this week found to be faithless? I got good news for you. He is faithful. He will not give you a testing. If you belong to him, he will not give you a testing. That will lead you to apostasy. He will instead give you his spirit to convict you of that sin such that you don't keep walking down the path to the hunter with the arrow, but that you stop and that you turn. That is the faithfulness of our God in our faithlessness. And so what Jesus help us to do? Jesus's ability helps us to stand. Thirdly, oh, hold on. I got more to say on this. And we're so we're just you guys good on time. I heard a yes. All right, let's keep going. I want you to see the categories. They showed up in the video. If you remember in the video, he said there were three things. Sex, money, and power. The spiritual forces of this world are going to influence us upon categories. We're given those categories in 1 John. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world. And then we're given three of them. Here's number one. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the same categories. Sex would be the lust of the flesh. Riches would be the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life is the power of our own desire for authority and control. 
I want you to see in these three categories, that's exactly what Satan did to Jesus. Look with me back into the text. The first one, Satan says, you look hungry. Turn these rocks into what? Yeah, because your, your belly's, you ever, some of you are having that right now. Like, man, getting close to lunchtime, right? Getting hungry. What is that a lust of? That's a lust of the flesh. That's what Jesus is being tempted with. And then at the end, he takes him to the high mountain that overlooks all the splendor and the riches of all the kingdoms. Before that, verse, uh, in, in verse 5, he, he has him go up to throw himself off uh, the highest mount, falsely quoting Psalm 91, because the devil's going to twist scripture as well. We looked at that with false teaching. That's pride, the testing of God. And finally, all the splendor of earth's riches, that's the lust of the eyes. These same three categories are being given right now to Jesus. I want you to know they show up in the garden as well. So again, in Genesis 3, after the serpent deceives Eve, it says down here, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, she's seeing that it's good for what? Good for her flesh. Very good. So there it is. Good for food. That's a lust of the flesh. That's not all that Eve saw, though. Go back and look. It says that it was also pleasing to the eye. That's what the text says. Eve looks at the fruit. This is going to fill my belly, she first says. And, oh, it looks. Doesn't that look good? Which one is that? It's the lust of the eyes. Pleasing to the eye. And then one other thing. She, she concludes, this fruit is desirable for gaining wisdom. Wisdom that Eve and Adam will then be in control of. And what is that? That's pride of life again. Human wisdom. Are you seeing the parallels here? The continuity between Jesus and the garden? I want you to know there's some discontinuity too. How would you do? How, 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 would you pass these tests in the garden? How, how bad must have that been in the garden? I mean, pretty nice, I gotta imagine, right? Where was Jesus when he was tested? In a garden or in a desert? Completely opposite. Adam and Eve had their bellies full. They could eat from anything. Jesus hadn't eaten for how long? 40 days. Adam and Eve had each other companionship to help each other. Jesus by himself. Now, when we, along with Adam and Eve, would face it in the best of circumstances and fail, Jesus in the worst of circumstances passes the test. And so I want you to know just once more so we can move on. By Jesus' ability, he will faithfully lead, keep, and deliver us. He will help us to stand. Thirdly, Jesus enables our counterattack. And so here it is. It's resistance. It's resistance. When that doe heard that grunt, she, she should have, that's, that's not right. I ain't going. I'm not going to go. I'm going to resist the temptation to go. This from James 4. Or 4 verse 7. James says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want you to know resistance is your and I counterattack. And that Greek word to resist, it's kind of a cool word. It's from the root to stand. Do you remember apostasy was to stand away, to fall? But resistance means to stand against. You know, like when your, your sister wanted to get in your room and so you held the doorknob and you stood like this. You know what I'm talking about? That's the word. That's what you're to do. Stand against. That's what it means to resist. And you and I are shown three ways to do that in the text this morning. Number one, resist by the word. What does Jesus do? Three times. It is written. It is written. It is written. Do you know the word? What's the ammunition that you're reaching for in your resistance against temptation? Because if it's an arrogance of yourself, let me tell you, you will fail. In fact, look with me in a few passages that show us this. In 2 Peter 2, Peter says this, this is of false teachers he's speaking of. It's especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yes, even angels. This arrogance that thinks I can go toe-to-toe with the forces of evil. You will lose. Again, in Jude... Very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, who we heard from this morning, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare condemn him for slander. But what, is, what does Michael do? 
He calls upon the Lord. The Lord rebuke you. We got that same thing in Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. I I just got to tell you as loud and clear. If you think you go toe-to-toe with the devil, you're going to lose. And so you need to resist by knowing the word. So do you? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Do you know the word? Psalm 119, how can a young person keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not, the result of temptation, that I won't sin against you. Number one, resist, stand against by using the word. Number two, resist by warfare. You are in a war right now, church. There's a battle that's happening right now. In Ephesians 6, Paul says again, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authority, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, now watch the repetition here, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand... Stand firm then. That's what's happening in the battle. You have to stand. That's a resistance against. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is by carrying upon yourself the armor of the characteristics of Jesus. Now, we're just, we're all out of time. We've been out of time for 10 minutes. Keep going. Thank you, sir. We'll do it. We don't have time to get into a a full study on the armor of God. I want you to know that it's there, and I want you to know that it's characterized by clothing yourself with Christ. He will will enable you to stand. This from 1 Peter chapter 5, be alert and sober-minded. By the way, that's what every soldier needs to do. Hey, be alert. Don't get drunk. Get get all your faculties together. There is a war that's happening right now. That's what he means by be alert. And sober-minded, your enemy, the devil, prowls along like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. What's the command? Resist. Stand. Stand against him by standing firm in the faith. And so I want to know, I want you to know, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is modeling this. He's resisting because he knows he's in a war. Number three, this one's a good one. Resist. By worship. It's no mistake that the devil showed his final card in in the end. I'll give you all these things if you'll just bow your knee. That's it. Just bend your knee and worship me. And what does Jesus say? Who should we be worshiping only? Only God. Serve him only. Worship him only. I want you to know that when you do this, it really frustrates the devil. This, This is a little bit of offense on our side. That when we worship, the devil really loses strength to control us. I want, I want to just very briefly show you three ways of doing that. The first is worship through thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Last Sunday, Sri Raj taught us about peace. The devil wants to steal peace. What's the promise for you to get peace? You go to God in prayer with what? With thanksgiving. The more that you thank God for, the diffi- for, for loving you in the midst of the difficulties that you are in, the devil's going to lose all his ammunition against you. There's nothing he's going to be able to do against you. That's worship is what that's called. Uh, secondly, worship by drawing near. James 4 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Some of you spend too much time letting the world saturate your minds. Some of you are spending too much time with the wrong people. You know what? It'd be really healthy for you to do. Be really healthy for you to put some of that away and just draw near to God. Draw near to him in prayer. Draw near to him by allowing the countenance of your heart to look upon and meditate upon him. That's how you draw near. And what's the text say? He will come near to you. That's how you are to resist. So worship by drawing near. Finally, worship through praise. This from Psalm 8. Through the praise of children and infants, 
you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Greatest superpower that you have is singing. Greatest superpower that you have is worship through drawing near. The greatest superpower you have is giving God thanks in the midst of difficulty. I want you to know you are to resist by worship. That's what Jesus says, not my words. Verse 10, Jesus said, away from him, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the very next line says the devil did what? Hit the road. Okay, at this point, I've given you a lot of things to do, right? I expect that you're taking notes on this, not wasting my time or yours, that you and I know we're going into battle. There's one other little piece, though. You will fail. You will. If you didn't fail, you'd be Jesus. You Jesus? Nope. Do you need Jesus? Yes. And so you... Plug the holes of the boat that's leaking. You stop walking in the wrong direction towards the killer. And the way that you do that is this beautiful word right here. You repent. This is Jesus' full message. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Same message as I want to give you today. Repent, church. We don't often have an altar call here in Segola. We're going to do one right now. I don't know who's brave enough today to confess openly that you need to change direction and that you've got some holes in your boat. Let me just tell you, first of all, I know my own heart better than you do. I'm going to stand first. And so rather than have anybody just come stand up here, this is my challenge to you. Listen, it's a little hard to do this publicly. It doesn't really mean much if you do it privately because there's really not a lot of skin in the game. But if you're willing to do this publicly... Maybe it'll matter. If the devil's been working on you lately, if temptation for you has looked like the path of that 10-point buck, that you've been walking the wrong direction, and you are ready to stop, the word repent means to turn. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to simply ask you, would you stand up where you're at? Anybody this morning that's ready to turn? That's willing to say, I've had enough. I've had enough of going the wrong direction. The Spirit's loud enough in my heart that it tells me where I have strayed from your will. And so I want to turn today. Will you bow your heads and let's pray together this morning?